I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Uh, today, I'm here with Perry Zhang. Perry, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jason, for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Perry is the founder and CEO of Cashflow Portal, this is a real estate syndication software. Um, he lives in Seattle and he owns uh, six single family properties in addition to um, having started in real estate syndication three years ago. So um, Perry, I would love it if you can kind of tell us about your background and sort of where you where you started and, and, and where you're headed in, at this point. Sure. Uh, so my name is Perry Zhang, I live in Seattle. I'm currently uh, an engineer manager at Lyft. I've been in the tech industry ever since I graduated, been at Lyft for about five plus years. Um, before that, I was a software engineer at Twitter and then before that, I was at Amazon. Uh, I started syndicating about three years ago, uh, did a 172 unit as a lead syndicator, then did a 408 unit also as one of the lead syndicators. Um, and uh, right now we are in the close in, in the process of closing another deal, and that will bring us to about eight hundred units total. Okay. That's awesome. So you're so you're still working a full time job as well as you know syndicating, uh, kind of as your side hustle. Yeah, um, I think syndication honestly will always be my side hustle. Um, I don't think it fills up all of my time, um, and I do believe that. Um, I don't really identify myself as a full-time syndicator. Uh, it's something I'm, it's like almost like a passion project. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. I, th I think, uh, actually, I think that's really great to sort of dive into because, uh, you know, a lot of people look at syndication and real estate in general as the, you know, sort of ticket or pathway to getting out of, you know, sort of the regular job. But uh, like yourself, I don't really intend to leave my, life as a veterinary surgeon, I, I enjoy that. So, um, you know, I see syndication as, as uh, side hustle or a second job, however you want to look at it. I think, you know, the, the idea is to kind of build it in such a way that, that you can do both without sort of running yourself into the ground. So maybe, maybe let's dive into that. What have you done? And, and I mean, I think doing, you know, your first lead syndication on a hundred, you said 176 unit. 172 yeah, 172 unit yeah so that's I, I feel like that's a pretty pretty big deal um you know uh for for a very first one so so maybe let's talk a little bit about that sort of what you how you did that you know kind of how that worked for you I, I know and I'm sure you'll get into it but there are some hurdles or obstacles uh you know for people to get over in the beginning so let's let's talk a little bit about it yeah uh so maybe um, let's focus on how we got the deal and then how we got it under contract. And then yeah. maybe we can talk about how we go about equity raising. So we joined a mentorship program a year before that. And uh, it took us about nine months to get the deal under contract, get a deal. And during that time, we underwrote probably more than 50 plus deals, 
made a bunch of offers, got into the best and final at least five, six times. And then finally, this is one deal that we got under contract. Um, it, it helps also to say that we actually did a full cycle uh, syndication, quote unquote, or JV on a seven unit a couple years prior to that. So we have some experience, a small, this is our like second rodeo, but it's on a much, much bigger scale. Right. Yeah. So we have uh, borrowed, um, uh, raised some money and buy a seven unit in Tacoma, Washington. And we sold that and made about you know 60% profit for our investors in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a year and a half. So we have some success with it, but this is a, a different beast, right? It's agency sure. long. As I know, uh, it has got, uh, you, you have to have the resume with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and so on. Um, and uh, toward, Towards that end, I think having a mentorship program does help. It helps you to have some kind of reputation so that the commercial brokers take you seriously. Um, and uh, it also helps to say that they can vouch for your character and your work ethic and the fact that you can close on the deal. Uh, we basically convince our coach in the program that we are good. Uh, we kept underwriting, we showed them our underwriting, and we do our due diligence. We talked to the property management company to get pro forma. We talked to the tax consultants and so on and so forth. And after a while, the coach told me that, you know, Perry, I like what I'm seeing. You are, you know, you ask all the right questions. You're able to challenge on some assumptions that I didn't even know about. If you have the next deal, I would love to be your co-sponsor. And so that's what gave us confidence. And it's just a matter of time that you get a deal. Uh, yeah. But that first nine months going from zero to one is probably the hardest, right? With these commercial properties, you don't really do any advertising. You don't send out letters to like owners or anything. It's all through the commercial broker. So the first couple of months was just building relationship with the commercial broker so that the, you are on their email database. And whenever they have a deal, they'll send you a link. You'll sign up with, you'll get access to their box and you will see the rent roll and T12, T3, and you underwrite it. And then you go on the property to tour. Um, I live in Seattle. All that 172 unit is in Dallas, Texas. So I was very fortunate to have a business partner that uh, lives in Dallas full time and he's asset managing and doing real estate full time. So you do need that kind of boots on the ground. Um, so that's sort of the factors that went into how we got our first deal. Okay, sure. And I think yeah, there's a lot of really good points there. I mean, you have, as far as agency debt goes, you know, you are not even necessarily just agency, but almost any of the commercial financing, you've got to have someone on the deal who has net worth, liquidity, and experience, right? There's those three things. And although you have the seven unit, without that being agency debt, they're unfortunately not going to, like, that's good experience, but it's not going to, you know, qualify for agency debt. So you have to have someone with, with a bit more experience and bring them into the deal. And, you know, you did, you did it exactly what you need to in the sense that you prove, your, prove yourself to your mentor that, hey, I'm worth, you know, sort of trusting and investing in. So that's, that's perfect. Um, when did you, when did you close on that deal? Yeah. So we joined the program in 2018, uh, July. We got our deal in maybe uh, May, uh, June of 2019, and we closed on September of 2019. Okay. So up Almost 10 months after we joined the program, we got a deal under contract. Okay. And then 
and then you had it for a little while and COVID hit. So you, you've uh, you've sort of experienced managing through a global pandemic. So how, how did that go? Uh, yeah, so, you know, fast forward during the COVID, we, our rents were actually um, really, we're doing really, really well. During COVID, uh, so the property is a pretty large value app. So we did a lot of renovations. And during that renovation period, there were a lot of economic vacancy. That's a true story. But then when, when we fin finally finished the renovation, COVID hit, then we're like, okay, well, that's kind of not good. Uh, but we survived through the COVID. Uh, we did not decrease our, our vacancy because there is two pools, right? One is the, the market pulling it down, but then our asset has become more attractive to the tenants. So that's kind of keeping it up. After the COVID, um, kind of like we came out of the pandemic, the property is on a tier of doing really, really well. Uh, right now, 99% occupied. We have like one or two vacant units one out of 172. Um, um, income and it's all time high. Every month is breaking last month's records. Um, we bought it for 13.5. We put in $1.5 million of renovation-ish. And so for a $15 million total. And right now we are you know, thinking about putting it on the market and the whisper price is 21 million. So we are more than doubling investors' money at this point. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but you know, well, we did a good job on that first year. Yeah, I, I knew we did a good job because we were very methodical about what renovations we need to do and the timeline and the velocity we get them done just in time for the COVID, right? Uh, well, not in time for the COVID, but just in time for that we got it got out, you know, uh, got got that taken care of by the yeah. by the time that we wrap up the operation. The timing worked out such that you had most of your renovations done before COVID hit. So that's that's good. That's lucky. Uh, I think uh, that worked out well for you. And and I mean, I think you know the the country has seen that throughout the pandemic most multifamily has performed very, very well. So um, whatever, for whatever reason you want to attribute that to, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with, with your team's, you know, asset management and the renovations and things like that. And probably some of it has to do with the government pouring all kinds of money into, into the economy. So there's, there's uh, lots of good reasons, but you have to make the best of it. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, I know, uh, you know, your, your sort of maybe area of expertise is, is equity raising. Um, let's talk a little bit about your software and, and kind of your thoughts on especially uh, beginning syndicators and raising equity. Yeah, absolutely. I think of myself as a reluctant equity raiser, as in I do not think of myself as a good salesperson whatsoever. Um, I think um, from my perspective, certain things were helping during my first race. Some of it is ex like external and I got lucky. Some of it is just my character. I'm not necessarily saying that they are the good way to raise money. It's just how I operate and it's consistent with my character and my personality. But so I go through some of these. There are still some tips and tricks there. So number one, um, probably the biggest reason I got lucky was during the time that I was raising equity, Liv went through an IPO. Uh, Liv went IPO in March or uh, February of 2019. I was actually in Los Angeles during the IPO ceremony. Uh, so that was really cool. Then there's a six month lockup. So 
my coworkers or previous coworkers are you know over like millionaires um, by having worked at Lyft for about three, four, five years at that point. So they have quite a bit of liquidity that they want to deploy. I got lucky, right? Um, so it's in, uh, especially easy to raise money. Now it helps that I was a good employee um, and people trust me that they can count on that I do what I say I will do. So that helps. The second thing that helps was I have five single families at that time. So people knew that I was doing house hacking. So I bought a house, have five rooms. I live in one of the rooms, rent out the other four. I remember one statement made by my friends is, you know, if Perry can live with four other housemates, he can make this 172 unit work. And that is a true statement. If it's not doing well, I will personally move to Texas, live in one of the units and make sure everything else got rental, right? So your underwriting will never be as true as what actually happens in real life. It's more about how you respond to the challenges and the pivots that happen that arise during the operation of the property that make or break the deal. So you have to care. So that's one statement is if I can live with housemates, I can probably make this work, right? Because there are not that many perhaps high income earners like me who choose to live with in a house hacking property, right? Most of them will buy a nice house in downtown Seattle or not. So I, I care about financial freedom. I care about uh, like growing wealth. So I will make it work. Uh, and the third one is, um, is yeah, uh, the third one is, I've been talking about real estate for some time, starting with single family, then to a seven unit. Then I joined this group. So for that 10 months, they kept asking me, Perry, you know, how's your multifamily going? You know, did you get any deal? Um, and I said, no, I was so frustrated because we tried to get a property under contract. It hasn't happened. We got a bit. I was telling them all these things um, just because that's what's happening in my life. And so somewhere along the dinner conversations, they always say, if you have a deal, let me know. I, I'm interested, right? So in my case, it's usually the other person saying that they are interested instead of me saying that, hey, um, so those are the three main factors. I can also tell you what I don't do. Um, I don't send out an email before I raise money, say, here's what we're doing, here are the images, these are the conference I go to. I don't do any of that. In fact, by the time I raised my money uh, for the first year, we don't even have MailChimp set up. This is back in 2019. We're so like not sophisticated. Uh, I was still ECCing people and yeah. yeah. But then a month later, I said, like, okay, I need to get a MailChimp. It's not my character, but we got a MailChimp anyway. Right. So it may not be as helpful, but maybe the lesson here is um, it's really about uh, telling people that you're doing it in your daily conversations. And then having the reputation that are, you know, you, you are good to your word and you do what you say you will do. Yeah. Um, and having a, um, I, I like to think of people that are driven and uh, they, they will, they will, their results oriented instead of uh, folks that perhaps, you know, come across as flimsy. There are a lot of people, they say, or they'll do a lot of things, but they actually, like two years later, they're still working out, right? So I think, uh, this is what I learned. A lot of emails and fluff and like hype don't get you investors. They never do. If you are modest, driven, hustle, and people can see the drive, people become good friends with the folks that are very outgoing and charismatic and hyped up in parties. 
but when it comes to investing, they may invest with the folks that just maybe implicitly trust. Um, but then again, I'm not on the other side, so I don't know if that's a true statement. Uh, it's just this is how, how what you, uh, what works for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope you're right because that's <laughs> I, I have that same sort of approach to this. I, I I am a you know sort of reluctant capital raiser. I think I, I've never considered myself a salesperson. I'm a veterinary surgeon. I know that I'm very good at it, and so I tell people this is what your animal needs. If you want someone to, if you want someone who's going to make it go well, I'm your guy. Like that's you know, and so I I think it's a it's an interesting. I, I really like your take on it because it's a bit contrary, right, to what what is put out there, where it's like, oh, you have to have these uh, systems of you know essentially uh, continual email updates and all of this and social media marketing and everything. And and I think you know those not to say that those things aren't valuable, but I think when it comes right down to it, inherently you need to be a good person, you need to work hard, and you need to be committed to what you say you're going to do. And I, I, I laughed when you said that you would move to, to Dallas because I literally just asked my wife last week, I was like, so if it came down to it, would you be okay if we moved to Atlanta to make this work? And it's like, the, <laughs> the funny thing about it is one, she, I mean, she said, yes. Yeah, so I love, I love her to death. You know, yeah. she's my biggest supporter, but two, yeah. she didn't seem surprised. Right. She wasn't surprised <laughs> that I asked that question because she knows that's, you know, kind of the, the person I am. So it's uh, yeah. it's it's interesting that you say that. And I, <laughs> we, we have a lot of a parallel uh, thinking there. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool. So now, I, you know, I think, yes, there is some luck, good fortune to what to having a bunch of your friends just be a part of an mm -hmm. IPO as you're starting to raise for your first deal. That certainly helps a lot. But, but, you know, it's not that that's not the only thing. And it's also not your only deal. So uh, unless, you know, you were part of another company that IPO'd after that for your second deal, you know, it's, it's not applicable every time. So maybe um, talk about, you know, what else, how it sort of worked since then. Um, if you want, you know, I'd be happy for you to talk about um, your cash flow portal and, and um, I mean, realistically, yeah, whatever, whatever you think will be helpful to the listeners, Perry, I'd love, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. So I, a silver lining to the listeners is your first deal will always be the hardest. Um, to me, the hard, excuse me, the hardest part is getting the deal under contract. When you have the deal under contract, especially if it's a multifamily in Texas or Atlanta, these are like legitimate markets with legitimate commercial brokers chances are you're probably gonna go to close it. And there's, I have not seen anyone uh, that I know that couldn't close it because they couldn't raise enough money. So if you get the deal under contract, you're gonna close it. It's, it's more about how well you will do. Um, the first deal, it was uh, hard raising uh, money for sure. It took us about a month and a half to grind it out. It was a $4.3 million raise. Um, I personally raised about 3.5-ish out of it. But it was a grind. It was um, pick up the phone, call them. And then sometimes someone would um, hear that, uh, that I have a deal for the first time you know, toward the end, um, which is not good. Uh, but they, they know me. They're like, OK, I'll give it a try and, and whatnot. What helped during that time was a live one IPO. So I also have a few, uh, uh, quite a bit of capital. So I told my business partner that we don't need to bring in another co-sponsor. Worst case, 
I will like I will uh, fund the rest of the uh, down payment. That's fine. Because so there is um, I'm pretty risk averse. So I do have like plan B, plan C, and plan D. Plan C is getting another co-sponsor. Plan D is like getting two co-sponsor, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So that's a month of and a half of grind and just be prepared for the grind. You're going to learn a lot of things for the first time. Um, and so the second deal is a 408 unit. It's a $12 million raise. There are three syndication groups. So my business partner, Ed, and I are one syndication group and there are two others. Um, we, um, our syndication group, uh, like me and my uh, business partner, raised about $4 million each. Um, and I, I raised majority of it since I'm the equity raiser component and my business partner is the, is the uh, asset management manager component. Um, so that was within 48 hours, 4 million, no problem, so 40 hours. So what changed between, you know, we got the deal and then like nine months later and live was not going IPO, right? Um, what changed was that people saw that we did a good job. Uh, even though the, the deal, you know, during COVID or whatnot, they saw that the business plan got executed. They saw that we communicate well, even though economic vacancy is uh, uh, vacancy is high, but that's expected because we're doing renovation. So they think they're seeing this change in the community. Uh, we also had a great property management company that we were one of the highest rated C-class properties in Dallas. And we won some award for like one of the best properties in Dallas, right? We turn a, a property that everybody thought was like really bad, but in a great location into one of the fully fenced, fully gated properties that everyone appreciates, right? Um, yeah, so we did well and people saw that. And so the next time they're like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Um, I'll also caution against that. When everyone is so hyped up about something, uh, be careful, you know, don't take it for granted, um, still do well on the property. So what happened on the second property is uh, we chose the, uh, a not so great property management company and we have to let go of our property management company two and a half months into the ownership. So we know our hard lesson that, you know, just because you raise money so fast, everyone raised their money within like 48 hours a week because it's three very experienced syndication groups raising money, $12 million, you know, 72 hours done. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, we should not take it for granted. And now the property is doing much, much better and trending back in the, um, in the right direction. But we quote unquote wasted three months because we were a little bit too cocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah, I mean, it, it's a good, that's a really good lesson and, and a good point. It's like, don't, don't forget what got you there, right? It's, I mean, that applies to almost everything in life, you know, you hear it all the time in sports and whatever. It's like when you, when you win, when you have that sort of taste of, <laughs> of victory, of doing well, you have to remember what, why that happened. And so just being like, oh, look, we raised capital now. It, does, it still doesn't mean that the next asset <laughs> runs itself. It's you've still got to do what you did before. So is it, was it also, uh, is it also in Dallas or is it in a different, yeah. different market also yeah. in Dallas? Um, and you just, went with a different property management company. I guess I'm just asking because you, you said you were very happy with your initial property management company, but then uh, went with someone else. So I, I didn't know kind of rationale behind that. Yeah, good question. Um, couple of reasons. One is a three syndication group. And so we are 
not the syndication group with the with the decision making on the property management company, which is fine. Sure. We knew that going in and we're okay trying out another property management right. company. Right. Number one. That's number two. The, the other syndication group has many, many units with this uh, property management company already. So we thought that we're gonna get this kind of leverage with the amount of portfolio that we have, but it turned out not to be the case. And that group actually changed all their uh, prop uh, properties to a different management company anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, kind of, I think people on the outside don't necessarily always look and see or, or understand necessarily the structure of how some of these deals work. It's like, someone's like, Oh, I have 800 units that probably don't just own 800 units by themselves. The only person, you know, that kind of thing. And so it, it, it speaks to the importance of working as a team and, and really, um, sort of clarifying roles and and uh, what each partner is is really responsible for. So I think that's that's actually another good. I feel like you're just <laughs> full of great lessons here. So that's that's very good. And uh, and the the importance of property management, you know, it's most of these most of us on these big deals are not we're not managing it ourselves. And so you've got to find, you know, a reliable, reputable property management company that can execute the business plan that you've set in place and, and be able to work. And if, and if you don't, I think, you know, sort of commendable that you realized it quickly and, you know, you didn't, you didn't let it kind of linger on for years, sort of just hoping that things would get better. You recognized it quickly and, and, you know, remedied the situation. So I think, you know, although you had what you say is, you know, sort of, you use the term wasted couple of months, but almost maybe that's a learning lesson and something that uh, as an investor, perhaps in the next deal, people look at that as a good thing, right? You said, okay, look, this is not working. You quickly s assessed that and, and made a change. So I think to me that that's just another uh, positive to towards how you're, you're managing this. So I, I think it's very good. Um, yeah. and yeah, congratulations on such a, such a big raise in a quick time. That's, that's fantastic. Um, well, do, do you want to talk a little bit about cash flow portal and, and sort of how you are, are you using that just yourself or is that something that is, uh, you know, sort of you, other people can be, be on that portal as well. Absolutely. So it was created just to help myself and solve my pain point. Uh, it is now taking off in a, in a great way. And I'm so excited. Uh, last few weeks have been super busy. The software is being used right now uh, to raise uh, about $35 million for five syndication groups. Um, so very, very exciting stuff. Um, having raised using DocuSign and manual process, and right now we're doing a raise with the software, I can tell you software is 10x better. Um, the process from a syndicator perspective, what the syndicator had to do is, you know, before the there's a software, you need to send out a DocuSign. You need to fill out all the DocuSign labels, send it to your investor. Investor send it back. You open it, see how much they invest. Go to your spreadsheet, put in the amount they invest, send them a wire instruction. They send a wire. They will tell you, hey, did you get my money? Did you get my money? You tell them, I got your money, don't worry. And then you close the loop on there. Then every month you give them a monthly email, which is expected every three months, six months, you give them a distribution. And so there's a lot of paperwork. Some people might wanna change their address. They definitely want their K-1s by end of the year. 
uh, they sometimes need to change their entity information or they want to change their bank account, et cetera, et cetera, right? So quite a bit of stuff to manage. From a passive investor side, the ability of going to a portal and be able to change their email address or, or their uh, account number or address or bank account is just so you know, uplifting and, so, and uh, makes itself serve for them. They also feel like, okay, this is legit. Did you have a website? I can do it on, on a portal. It looks professional. It gives you a, a, a sense of kind of uh, legitimacy uh, or like, yeah. Um, and um, and you know, having a portal also makes them feel like, okay, doesn't uh, seems like you guys know what you're doing because you at least have a website and there's uh, and there are all kinds of tutorials out there to help me as a passive investor on what questions I should be asking. There are a lot of first time in, uh, investors that will be asking what is the IRR, right? They are very smart, but they just don't know what IRR is. So yeah. maybe just send them an article from the site that, hey, here's what the IRR, you know, how much the money is uh, in, are the syndicators putting in? Yeah, you can mention on the webinar, you can mention the email, but if you put it as part of that landing page, you will also avoid a lot of the questions. So the value proposition, is saves time for the syndicators and for the passive investors, it makes it for a much more streamlined experience, right? Um, like when they wire the money, there's a button that says, I just wired my money, can you check? Instead of sending an email say I wired my money, can you check? Right? right. So all kinds of methods. Um, yeah, um, super excited, um, definitely taking off. Um, and, um, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, I'd probably be full-time on, on the startup. Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. I, I think those, yeah, those portals do make, do make a big difference. And I think uh, inefficiency and, you know, sort of investor presentation, I, I think any of that, uh, it, it helps really, like you said, on, on both sides of the, both sides of the transaction. It's a, it's a, you know, sort of win-win for everybody. So that, that's pretty great. Um, Perry, let me, uh, maybe we'll move to sort of the section where, where I have questions that I like to ask every guest. Sure. Um, we'll kind of get some of those. Um, so the first one is, is sort of obvious in relation to the name of the podcast being Know Your Why. Uh, my question for you is, is what is your why? What, what drives you? What motivates you to kind of keep succeeding at this, this high level? Um, I want to say it's high level. I feel like I still, um, I'm trying to be better. Um, that's a good question. Um, what is my why? Um, I know I'm very achievement oriented and I like to go into areas where I have a competitive advantage. So to give you an example, um, I go into real estate because I think I might be one of the better people with technology background in real estate. And real estate is not that hard when it comes to maybe math or logic or underwriting. But within the technology field, I chose real estate because I think among all the Silicon Valley engineers, not a lot of them actually take the time to buy rental properties, right? They're pretty comfortable with stock. So I'd like to go to an area where I have a competitive advantage. And people ask me, why do you do that? Because I said, I want to succeed. And I want, I, I want to have a certain amount of net worth or a certain amount of like, um, ownership or whatever. Um, I, I honestly don't know why I want that. Uh, it's probably because the results of many micro positive reinforcements since I was a kid. 
that, oh, Perry, you are smart, you're good, you know, uh, valedictorian, so on and so forth, that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe, um, you know, not wanting to get too meta, it's because I want to uh, maybe intrinsically uh, want the approval of other people, right? Like maybe being successful gets me approval. I don't know. Um, but, you know, uh, outside of meta, uh, I also know I like control. I don't want to work for anyone. So uh, going to my startup is way to say I, I'm not working for anyone, even though there's more risk and so on and so forth. I just don't like working for anyone. So having control over the destiny and feeling like I own something, like I can make a difference and this is my, um, it's important to me. But then if you ask deeper, why do I want that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think it doesn't necessarily, wanting those things, if that's what drives you, that's what drives you. That's not, it, I don't even know that there has to be some <laughs> deep philosophical reason why i mean i i get it like i like control i i like i like the the asset management because i feel as though i can make a difference there you know i you know it's that sort of thing so i think it's uh it there's no there's no wrong answer to that question i i it's honestly i think that's what one of the things that i find most exciting about real estate is that Sure, there's a lot of common themes, like you said, like the freedom or control of your time. So time freedom, time control. Uh, certainly, you know, family is a big driver for people. It is for me, but it's it it's just it's kind of interesting to see what people use as you know sort of those things that push them. Um, yep. Tell me something about yourself that uh, maybe isn't common knowledge. Uh, a hobby, a special skill, something, something that you're uh, that you're working on, and anything that you're willing to share. Yeah, um, I um, let's see a couple of things. I like I like um, credit cards a lot. I also like playing poker. Um, um, with credit cards, I have all forms of credit cards that accrue points, and you know that allow me to stay in nice hotels or go on first class um, and get upgraded and so on and so forth. Um, you don't really make that much money given the amount of time you pour into it, but it's a, it's a game. It's a game and yeah. you feel like you're winning that game. You know, uh, when you eat out, you eat, use American Express Go Card because you get four points and you use those four points to, um, to, to, uh, to use the American Express business plan and then designate an airline such that you can get 35% uh, off on all your flights. You know, at the end, it, how much does it save you? You know, a few thousand dollars a year. <laughs> if I spend that much time, just buy a single family or multi-family, we'll more than make up for it. But it, it's a game. Um, so yeah, so that's one. Uh, definitely, I, I, I don't know. It's something a little bit silly, but I like watching YouTube videos and uh, watching how you maximize credit cards. Well, I think I think that's cool. I, I, I'm always impressed by people that that are able to do that and really use them to their advantage. I, I feel like I sometimes try to do it and I'm probably doing it wrong, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm like, well, I get points for this, but it, yeah, it's, uh, when I hear about the people that are essentially eating and traveling for free because they're so good at using points, I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's like a game that, uh, I imagine once you get good at it and you <laughs> it's that taste of winning again, you start to, you start to, uh, 
you know, sort of really get into it. So that's, that's actually pretty cool. Um, how can people reach you? What's, uh, what's the best way if people, uh, when they hear this, want to reach out to you and kind of talk about what you're doing? How, how would you like people to do that? Uh, yeah. Um, so you can reach me at perry at cashflowportal.com. You can also go on LinkedIn or Facebook and search for Perry Zane. Mm. One of the things I do find out about myself is um, I am pretty generous with my time. Uh, if people want to chat or my friends want to meet up and they live in like New York City or I don't know, uh, Austin, Texas, um, I do not mind flying over. Right? That's with friends and whatnot. And so I'm pretty generous with my time. Um, you know, I will be a digital nomad soon, um, you know, traveling and doing running my startup because you don't need to really go to office to run your startup. So uh, love to chat, love to get to know you and how I can help you. Um, I have asked many people for help before, so I'm, uh, I, I would love to give, give it back uh, and pay it for. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, what piece of advice would you give to people maybe, you know, back in your shoes back in 2019 when you were getting started? What, they see, you know, all that you've achieved, what would you, what would you suggest to them uh, to maybe help them um, follow in your footsteps? Yeah, uh, so you are searching, uh, you went through many years of schooling to get where you are, you have a lot of grit, you have determination, and you're doing this, you know, real estate stuff as a side hustle. Uh, so I have kind of two pieces of advice. Um, one is, don't feel like you have to quit your job to do real estate in order to, uh, don't use real estate as a way to get out of your job, right? Um, and then this also applies to business ventures and startups. If you're not willing to work 80 plus hours a week by working on your W2 job and your startup at the same time for at least maybe six months to a year, then you're probably not passionate about your startup enough, period. Uh, I don't know how other people do it, but people are like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and start a company. No, you don't know the next one year your startup is going to make nothing. And yeah, uh, the same thing with, with with real estate, I'm gonna quit my job so I can do flips full time. No, do a flip while you have the job, then do another one and then do another one and then quit. Um, and so there, in my opinion, there may be some people that are, they're actually not um, good operators and they just use real estate as a vehicle to get, to get out of their current situation. The world do not need those uh, syndicators. Yeah. And so, so if you are very successful as a syndicator and that's making more income than your W2 job, by all means go audit. That's fine, right? But don't feel like don't be like, oh, that's your way out of your W2 job. You never you it will not make you happy. Uh, so yeah. that's uh that's one uh, advice that I'll give. Um yeah, and then the second one is you greatly um underestimate what you can do in five years. Um, I started my first single property in 2016. Um, you know, now it's 2021, or maybe I, I bought it 2015, so six years. There's no way back in 2015 when I bought that first condo that I thought I'd be syndicated six years down the line. You do not have any idea. So take a one month at a time, just do the next thing. You'll be surprised how much you can achieve in six years. Um, but don't take it for granted because it could all go away. So uh, be paranoid, yeah. uh, uh, be also 
uh, don't be like, wow, time is running short. No, it's you, um, you might overestimate how much you can achieve in the next couple of months, but there's this beautiful thing called compounding. Just keep working on it. Your skill set also compound. So keep grinding. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. I, I do love that. I think it's true. You you probably think you probably think you can get a lot more accomplished in the beginning because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what the hurdles are going to be. You think it's going to go quick. And so people that want it to go quick and aren't willing to stick it out are going to be out pretty quick. But if yeah. you're willing to ride through and, and you, you know, the, that word compounding is perfect because you can compound your money, you can compound your time, you can compound your skills, like you said. So it's just, yeah. it, you reach that point where it's like, there's going to be an inflection point as long as you don't stop, where all of a sudden it's going to sort of, instead of slowly chugging up that hill, now it's going to start to roll over and get easier and easier. And eventually you'll be rolling downhill and it, it'll be like a, you know, the snowball effect. So uh, I think that's, that's fantastic advice. And I think, you know, realizing don't, you're not going to be able to use real estate as an escape from something bad. It has right. to be, it has to be your passion. It has to be, so you know, it, it kind of goes by, back to knowing your why it's not, whatever your why is, it doesn't matter, but, but it doesn't work to have like an anti-why. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> you're not, you know, just trying to escape badness doesn't, do, you know, so, do, trying to escape your own unhappiness, whether that's with a job or your life or whatever, that's not necessarily going to get you anywhere. You have to figure out what, what your passion is and what's going to drive you. So um, all, all great advice, Perry, this was awesome. I actually really appreciate it. I think virtually everything you said is um, helpful, valuable, actionable uh, pieces of information for people. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the, uh, the compliment. Appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, we'll end it. Um, have a great day, everyone. And thank you again, Perry.